praying for him, for his continued recovery, and for Pam as well, um, uh, as she looks after her husband, which is probably a good prayer to pray for any, any wife in the congregation. Father God, Almighty Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Lord, we are here because you are God. We are here because you are our God, because you have called us, because you have adopted us and made us your children. Lord, we are here because there is no other place where we would be than in your house and in your presence. How my heart longs and even grows faint with desire to be in your house. Lord, we are here to hear from you to bring our lives before you, to bring our everything before you. And we are here most of all to hear your voice. We are here to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, speak. Open hearts and minds and ears. And speak change our lives. Amen. Now the astute amongst you will, will say Nicholas has lost his marbles this week because last week he said I'm starting a, a, a continued series on Acts and we did Acts 21, 1 to 26 last week and you're supposed to do 27 to the end of the chapter and I want to hear about Paul. Does he escape the people who are against him? Uh, no, he doesn't. Short answer. I was going to preach on that today. And then a, a series of events happened. Um, and I thought I needed to preach about something else this morning. I want to preach about us as a church. I want to talk about us as a community. And, and you know what? We are such a fantastic group of people. There is such love in this place, which I can, I can personally attest to because I've experienced it from all of you. And it's wonderful. It's fantastic. You know what? There, there's a desire in this church for people to be saved. I do believe that. We've just had the family festival. Um, and the desire behind that is for people to be saved. And yet, I want to challenge us as a church that things are not as they should be.
And this is not an easy sermon to give. In fact, you can ask Reg, I was almost in tears yesterday, just talking about it. But we need to talk about it because God has big plans for this church and big plans for you and I. Let's have a look at at Ephesians. You know, I was reading this passage uh, Monday, Monday evening. I was reading Ephesians chapter 4, and I thought, this is the passage which I have to speak about at some stage. And then yesterday I thought, actually, you know what? This is the passage I need to speak about on Sunday. Because this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul looks at the Ephesian church and says, I want you to be all that God intends for you to be. Have a look just above. Read the whole of Ephesians when you get home. It's a fantastic book. Just above, Paul has got this, this prayer where he says, um, I, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that goes beyond all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God to him who is able to do so much more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine and my imagination's big all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory forever and ever in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And you read that and you go, yeah! Fantastic! Woohoo! Go, Paul! Chapter 4, verse 1. It's not in the NIV. But the first word is, so. I think the New Living Translation puts, therefore. Because of this wonderful stuff. As a prisoner in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you, brothers and sisters in Ephesus, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What a, what a statement from Paul. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And you might be sitting there thinking, that's okay, I can relax now. <laughs> I'm not called. Nick, you're the pastor. You've been called by God to lead this church. Paul doesn't write, and to the pastors, live a life call. Of course, pastors, me live a life worthy of the calling I've received to be a pastor and a teacher, but what Paul is writing is to all the Christians. He's saying, you have been called by God. I mean, that's the definition of being a Christian, is one who has been called. Jesus, walking along the road, sees some disciples, get to be disciples, and says, come, follow me, and they follow him. 
If you've read today's readings from our, from our Bible reading, we've got the incident there in Matthew 7 where Jesus is walking along and he sees some people and he says, come, follow me. And some of the people say, well, I've, I've first got to do this. I've got to go and bury my dad. Jesus says, no, just follow me. I'm calling you. We are called. You are called by God to live a life of God. And what does that mean? What does it mean? I have a sneaking suspicion that many Christians throughout the church worldwide don't have a sense that they are called. Because you see, called means more than just come be a Christian, right, that's done. Called means come and follow me and walk the path that I walk and join me in my mission, be a disciple. Be someone who, whose whole life is radically reorientated around this person of Jesus Christ. Because if you're called by God, then your life should reflect that. Do you remember that debacle a while back when Obama was given the Nobel Peace Prize? I don't care if you like Obama or not. The fact of the matter is, he was called a man of peace. And yet he kept going to war. (laughs) He didn't live a life worthy of the calling of the Nobel laureates. (laughs) And God says, I'm calling you. I'm not even Swedish. So it's got to be worth something more. And right now, some of you are are sitting there thinking, okay, I get it, Nick. I'm called. But I'm still worried about what you said right at the beginning of the service. (laughs) You said our church was in a, a bad place. And I think, let me reiterate, there's, there's so much of God's grace in this place. There is so much of God's grace in this place. But there are some things which I believe is stopping us from being effective as a witness to God's kingdom. I love hearing stories about churches of 30,000 people starting out as a home church and whether that would happen in Australia I don't know it can, God can do whatever he wants 3,000 in one day at Pentecost what is the issue that I've picked up and that others have picked up and brought to me 
not just one other, a few others. We have a problem in the church in that we are not fully united. There are factions of people. And, and it's, not, it's not deliberate factionizing. It's just that there are groups where this is my group and that is your group and we don't really like your group, so we're going we're gonna to be in our group over here and, and maybe we'll say hello when we, when we speak to you at church, but that's about it. And I know that there are there are people in the church who have, and you know yourselves, I'm not going to name you, who have disagreements with others. That have been simmering unresolved. And just resting there. So what? <laughs> we come to church on Sunday. It's okay, Nick, don't worry. I find it very telling that in his final prayer in John chapter 17, one of the last things that Jesus prays for his disciples, you know that passage, Monday night, Tuesday night Bible study group should know it. Jesus prays, Father, I am in you, you are in me, we are in each other, this is all bleh, in each other kind of thing. My prayer is that you would be in these people, my church, and that they would be in you, and that I would be in you, and, and I would be in them, and they would be in me, and, and we'd just be one, we'd be united. That we would be one, that they would be one, as we are one, Father, you and I, says Jesus. Why? Because God's kingdom grows when His people stand together. And when there is anything in the church which, which breaks down that barrier, which, which brings a division, which brings a divide, that is a point where the evil one comes in and says, I will block the work of God. I will stop the work of the kingdom. I will cause this division and the people will not flourish and the kingdom will not grow. And I don't dare to, to know the mind of God. But I wonder if this ties into why we have not seen any conversions through the family festival and through the super club. Not because the people involved in that are doing a shoddy job. They're not. I can attest to that. but because God intends for us to be united, to live a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life and on my life.
And you might think I'm making a big deal of this, but Paul writing in jail. (laughs) He doesn't just say, I want to remind you to live a life worthy of your calling. He says, I beg you, I beg you, I, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, who saw him on the road to Damascus, who is, who, is, who is one of the leaders of the church, who has established all this work in the Gentile world, I am here and I am begging you. Live a life worthy of your calling. Another place he says, you, the church, are my boast and my crown and my glory. So what does it look like? Well, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 4? He says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, which means, verse 2, be humble. Be humble. And I reckon all of us can put up our hands and say, that's the one I struggle with. My hand's high up in the air. <laughs> in fact, all of these ones that, we, that we're going to list, my hand go high up in the air. Humility, when it comes to unity in the church, means putting the other person first. It doesn't mean being a doormat, but it does mean willing to pay the price. You remember we, we heard a message on Philippians chapter 2 where Christ, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Taking the form of a servant and being found in the very nature of man, That's humility. Humility is saying, I count you so worthy that I will pay whatever cost so that I can lift you high. Paul says, living a life worthy of your calling is one where you treat each other with humility and with gentleness. (laughs) There's nothing... Well, there's lots of things, but one of those pictures of just picture a mother taking a thorn out of her child's foot. It's a picture of gentleness and concern and care. Says Paul, a life that is worthy of God's calling is one where we treat each other with such softness of course that doesn't mean that if somebody is doing something wrong or contrary to the gospel that we oh that's okay Jesus walked into the temple and he threw over the tables of the money changers and yet he was a man of gentleness 
when he found in Mark chapter 8, that little end section, the woman about to be stoned for adultery. He said, instead, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Then we come to to the third part of verse 2. It says, Paul, I want you to be, I want you to be humble. I want you to be gentle. And I want you to be patient with each other. (laughs) And as I read that, I think, well, you know, if everyone is humble and gentle towards each other, I won't need to be patient towards them. Because they'll just be nice people. (laughs) And I love that Paul puts this in because, you know what? (laughs) I'm a scumbag. You're a scumbag. We all do pathetic things. And though we try to live a life worthy calling of the gospel, a life worthy of the calling of the gospel, sometimes we fail and we hurt one another and we are hurt ourselves. And Paul says, just be patient. 1 Peter 3, 9, uh, that lovely verse, Peter writes and says, uh, don't be worried about the fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet. He's just being patient because he wants everyone to be saved. God is a God of patience. and, and, And I'm sure you know quite well how patient God is with you yourself, where you fall and God says, come on, I'm going to pick you back up again. God is so patient, super abundant patience from God. And he says, this is the life that I'm calling you to. And then the last lot of verse (laughs) 2. Be patient with another. Put up with each other. (laughs) The NIV puts puts it rather nicely. Bearing with one another in love. It actually says, put up with one another in love. You're going to have to put up with some people in this church. And that doesn't mean gritting your teeth and walking past until they go past me. You can put up with somebody like that, or you can put up with somebody in love and say, you know what, love covers over a multitude of sins. And it doesn't mean that I'm just going I'm to, I'm still going to encourage you and exhort you and, and build you up in what God is saying to you through me because I'm one of your your brothers or one of your sisters, but I will put up with you in love because God puts up with me. <laughs> and here comes the clincher of Paul's argument. Verse 3. You're living a life worthy of the calling, which means you're humble and you're gentle you're patient and you put up with one another and you love one another. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, I've tried to make peace. Didn't work too bad. 
finished. I'm feeling really godly today, so I've tried twice to make peace. Didn't work too bad. Hey, I'm, I'm a super Christian. I tried four times to make peace with that person. Didn't work. <laughs> now they're going to suffer. See, Paul doesn't say, make every reasonable effort. That word would have been so nice there. Make every reasonable effort to keep united with the people in your congregation. No, he says, make every effort. If you're a Christian, if your calling is God's calling on your life to be like Jesus, then you don't have a right to say, I've made enough of an effort. (laughs) Woe betide us if God had done that to us. I've made every effort. I've made every reasonable effort to save Nicholas. As if God couldn't. Make every effort. Just picture the person that you like least in this church. Got him? Now take a rope in your mind and take your two wrists and tie them together. <laughs> That's what the Spirit does, you know. I'm, I'm, please don't, don't mishear me. I'm not standing here saying we as a congregation have to fabricate peace. And you know what? The reason I'm not saying that is because it's actually here. We are actually United. We are actually one. One body. All who are born of God have one spirit. Call to the one hope. We have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one. You've got to love Paul, is he right, sir? He, does, he just goes, we're one, 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 nine times. We are one. Wow, that's an echo. And because we are one, says Paul, because there is a bond of unity in the church, let there be a bond of unity in the church. You see, you and I cannot fabricate fabricate the kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about here. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. You and I me in particular, I can't make this. <laughs> I can't force peace. In fact, I usually cause disruptions to peace. <laughs> but Jesus can. And Jesus has. This is why Paul is on his knees begging the Ephesians and begging us, because 
There is unity. We are one body. We are united in Christ. And this is why the, the kingdom work falls to, falters and, and sort of slows down when, when there is a lack of unity, when there is any sort of division or breakdown. It, it falters because we are not what we are. You know what, I've got so much more to say. I'm not going to say it all today. <laughs> I'm going to say some more next week. Second half of that reading. But the challenge for us, and the challenge for you this week, is to go home and read verse 1 of chapter 4 as many times as it takes. (laughs) And first read the end of chapter 3 because, you know, all of this is in the light of the glorious majesty of Jesus Christ who has saved us, who has rescued us, who has made us one by His death and His resurrection. We are, we are children of God, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and yet we have to ask ourselves, when this is true, does it look true in my life? Am I living a life worthy of the calling? And even the Apostle Paul I believe, kept asking himself the same question. He says, forgetting what was past, I look forward and I strive to win the prize that is set before me. Another place he says, Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave, lest having taught others I myself fall short of the prize. He writes another place in his letters and he says, I went to Jerusalem to meet with the elders to make sure that my calling was true, that my teaching was accurate. You see, this is what Paul does. Am I living a life worthy of the calling? How do I do that? I turn to God and I say, God, You have called me. You are glorious. And and these things, in Jesus, I am already that. I am already gentle. I am already humble in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, I'm patient, but, but you know what? That hasn't translated into my everyday life yet. In Jesus, I'm one. In myself, Lord, May your will will be done 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Give me today what I need for today. And keep me from the temptations to live an unworthy calling. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the majesty which makes it all possible. And I know I will enjoy these things forever and ever. And I want them now. Amen. Closing here, but it's uh, what a faithful God we have, or am I? And it's um, a good verse that uh, the other great hymn that we often sing, um, how great, uh, um, God's, on God's faithfulness. Interesting where uh, that verse is set, set in the book called Lamentations, which you don't expect you know, come up with a great verse like um, uh, God being uh, a God who is uh, faithful uh, there. And we're going to sing this um, him as an expression of our belief of what a faithful God we have.